I just can't shake the feeling that God's going to do some good things in our midst today. <clears throat> I want to challenge you, encourage you, raise your level of expectation. <clears throat> God is in the business of life transformation, leaves no stone unturned in the development of your past, present, and your future. Nothing is too hard or impossible for this God that we serve. <clears throat> in total, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul authors four letters from prison, which are known today as the prison epistles. It's the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, and the book of Philemon. Ephesians is written to the church that Paul plants in the ancient city of Ephesus. Philippians is written to the church Paul plants in the ancient city of Philippi. And both Colossians and Philemon are written to the church in the ancient city of Colossae. And watch, watch how Paul gives language to help describe the present conditions that inform the circumstance of his authorship. In Ephesians 6, he says this, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. And pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. In Philippians 1, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Colossians 4, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains and grace be with you. Philemon 1, I appeal to you on the basis of love, for I am in chains as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. It, Paul was in prison at least four different times in the context of 15 years. Paul was arrested in Macedonia because he dared to cast a demon out of a slave girl. Paul was arrested in Jerusalem because he dared to preach the resurrected Christ in the temple courts. Paul was imprisoned in Rome because he testified of Jesus in front of King Agrippa. And Paul was held captive in the maritime dungeon where he wrote his final letter, 2 Timothy, prior to being executed by the emperor Nero. And after all those years, after all that abuse, after all the betrayal, the hardship, the loneliness, the abandonment, the accusations, the persecution, and the unanswered questions, watch Paul's defiant statement of faith. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And yet in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, or things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, e each of the letters that Paul would author to the churches would follow the same basic outline. 
They would begin with a greeting. It would lead to an encouragement. It was followed by a rebuke. And it would end with an apostolic prayer. Often the motivation of Paul's letters was to correct an area of heresy that had crept into the churches. When Christians were tempted to go back to the law, Paul would remind them, you are justified by faith alone. When religious folks were tempted to cause division over secondary issues, Paul would remind them the Lord forbids sectarianism. When false teachers would infiltrate the church and teach that all paths lead to God, Paul would rebuke them by dismantling the lie of syncretism. And when believers would have confusion over the nature of Christ himself, Paul would proclaim that Jesus is the God-man, reigning supreme over the kingdoms of the earth. He is the only begotten of the Father, fully divine and yet fully human. He came in the flesh, lived a sinless life, was crucified on Calvary's hill, had a bodily resurrection from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is returning one day soon for a glorious bride. Jesus was not a creation of the Father. He is co-eternal with the Father. Jesus is not of a different nature than the Father. He is consubstantial with the Father. Jesus is not a lesser God from the Father. He is co-equal with the Father. And Christians today stand with Ignatius of the first century, Irenaeus of the second century, Arnobius of the third century, Athanasius of the fourth century, Augustine of the fifth century, and we proclaim we serve one God made manifest in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Oh, there should be no historical or theological dispute today. Jesus is Lord, and that changes everything. And guess what? The heretics of the early church are no different than the heretics of the modern church. It's a different decade, but it's the same demon. It might be on a different platform, but it's the same problem. Oh, maybe Jesus was just a wise teacher. Maybe Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. Maybe Jesus is one of many gods. Maybe Jesus stayed in the grave. Maybe he can't heal. Maybe he can't save. Maybe he can't deliver. But to quote Luther from the Reformation, we say, Here I stand, for I can do no other. Jesus is Lord, and that changes everything. And why does this matter? Because all of eternity hangs in the balance of who you declare this Jesus to be. Because all of hell wages war against the idea that Jesus was and is and forevermore shall be. Because it doesn't matter what else you get right. If you get Jesus wrong, you've missed out on the very essence of what it means to be a Christian. And because the same question that Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16, by his spirit, he is asking us today, who do you say that I am? 
Well, well, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, and some say you're the the reincarnation of John the Baptist or, or one of the other prophets, but like Peter, we declare you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Hear me, friend, Paul wasn't looking to be pen pals with pastors. His letters to the churches served as an apostolic guard against false teaching and fake teachers. And do you know what? People only counterfeit the valuable. Nobody is setting up a criminal enterprise so they can mass produce fake $1 bills. Criminals don't purchase circular saws so they can manufacture counterfeit dimes, nickels, and quarters. The world has no issue with Jesus being nice, but they hate the idea of Jesus being Lord. So instead of worshiping a genuine God, our culture has produced cheap imitations that might look valuable on the outside, but they are dead on the inside. Religion is a cheap imitation. Behavior modification is a cheap imitation. Woke ideology is a cheap imitation. New age spiritism is a cheap imitation. Political correctness is a cheap imitation. Universalism is a cheap imitation. Celebrity culture is a cheap imitation. They are like whitewashed tombs with dead men's bones inside. The Secret Service is the federal agency in charge of tracking down counterfeit money. Those agents don't learn to spot counterfeit bills by studying counterfeit bills. Instead, those agents spend so much time with the genuine that they become experts on what real money feels like, what real money looks like, what real money smells like and sounds like. The scriptures say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Hear me, friend. You don't need to be an expert on the counterfeit. If you hang out with the real for long enough, you'll spot the fake from a mile away. I'm not trying to be an expert on the fakes and the frauds. I just want to spend enough time in his presence that people say of us, I don't know who these unlearned men are, but I can tell they've been with Jesus. But here's what I love about Paul. He doesn't just tell the churches what was wrong. He tells them who is right. And and that brings us to the book of Colossians, where Paul defends the very nature of Christ. I want to do something that's not very normal to to my preaching style. Usually I'll take a scripture or two and then I'll exegete those and make some commentary and draw out some theological truths and then move on to the next scripture or two and do the same thing, repeat it over and over until I either run out of time or run out of energy. But but today I want to read to you about 10 or 12 verses in a row from Colossians 1 because I am convinced that if we'll allow the Bible to do the talking, his anointing will break bondages off of your life. His word, like a hammer, will break up the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I think often in our pulpits today, we got a lot of jokes, a lot of stories, a lot of illustrations, a little bit of Bible, and absolutely no anointing. And I'm just convinced that if we'll allow the Bible to do what the Bible does best, his word will never return void. It'll accomplish everything it's been sent for. 
forth to do because heaven and earth will pass away, but not one of his words will ever fail. And I just want you to hear the way that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes about the nature and the deity of Christ because it is so shocking and it is so real and it is so transcendent that it speaks to the core issues of humanity in a way that all of the wise sayings of man could never amount to in all of eternity. Watch what Paul says about this Jesus that we worship. Colossians 1, starting in verse 1, the Bible says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all God's people. And for this reason, since the day that we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued you. He has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and has brought us in to the kingdom of the Son that he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. For the Son is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. For he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness of the Godhead should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things unto himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through his blood shed on the cross. Oh, once you were alienated from God. There there was a season in your life where, where you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. This is the Jesus we have gathered to worship on this Sunday in Kirkland, Washington. The the book of Colossians is a letter written to a church that had been planted in the ancient city of Colossae. Located today in in modern-day Turkey, 
Colossae was a city known for the production of textiles and garments. Think of it like the fashion district. Colossae was a gateway city whose cultural impact would span the entirety of Asia Minor. And for a season, the city was home to the largest church on the continent. But Colossae had problems, not unlike the problems we have today. The inhabitants of the city, they worshiped the Greco-Roman gods that dominated the religious landscape of the Roman Empire. The people engaged in sexual perversion, commercial exploitation. They were impressed with their own accomplishments and paid no regard to the maker of the heavens and the earth. So Paul decides to open a campus in Colossae. Why? Because the gospel still works in major cities no matter how lost the people appear to be. The gospel still works in Seattle. The gospel still works in Kirkland. The gospel still works in Las Vegas. The gospel still works in Los Angeles. And the darker the city, the greater the opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ to be a light set on a hill for all men to see. And here's what's crazy. A year after the book of Colossians is written, an earthquake hits Colossae with such force that the entire region is leveled. It's almost like God was preparing that city. There's a shaking that's coming. You better inspect the foundation that you are built upon. So even if others crumble around you, your faith can remain. Friend, hear me today. There is a shaking that has begun in the church of America. And as sure as I am standing here today, these shakings like labor pains will intensify as the day of the Lord draws near. The foundation of personality is no longer enough. The foundation of influence is, is no longer enough. The foundation of big names and bright lights is, is no longer enough. We've got a crisis in the church today. We've mistaken charisma for character, gifting for godliness. We have men who have built movements but lost their first love. There is a shaking coming to the church in America and it is time to inspect that which you are founded upon. My nine-year-old asked me the week before our grand opening, Dad, is Bieber going to be at church today? I said, Matthew, I'm not sure. But there is one who John saw in a vision on the island of Patmos. His eyes burned like fire. His hair is white as wool. He has a golden sash and wears a rainbow crown above his head. And he walks amongst the candlesticks of this sanctuary today. And at his touch, your life can be changed. Your body can be healed. Your mind can be renewed. Your bondages can break. Oh, friend, it is more true today than it has ever been. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and right 
righteousness. And we dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. For it's on Christ, the solid rock I stand. And all other ground is sinking sand. And in Colossians 1, Paul tells us exactly who this Jesus is. Watch verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, which means this, I can see him. I can see him. See, the word image in the Greek was the word icon. It means that which exactly reflects its source. Like a man who sees his reflection in the mirror, Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Jesus isn't just kind of similar to the Father. He isn't just kind of tangentially related in characteristics or attributes to the Father. Jesus is the express image of the Father, which is why he says in John 14, if you have seen me, you have seen him. Friends, you don't have to worry today. Jesus is not protecting you from his angry father. Both God the Father and God the Son have the exact same opinion about your life's narrative. Jesus is what God looks like, and Jesus is what God has to say. And when Christ was born of the Virgin Mary via the incarnation 2,000 years ago, the world got a front row seat to see the invisible God take all on flesh and dwell amongst them and watch now through the ministry of the church in like manner we operate as incarnational ambassadors in the Pacific Northwest and watch our job is to make the invisible God visible to this community once again And in verse 16, it gets even better. For in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, both visible and, and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Which means this, not only can I see him, but I can know him. See, if you want to see God, just open your eyes. He's all around. But if you want to know God, you got to open your heart. For everything that has ever been created testifies to the handiwork and the brilliance of a sovereign God. Consider this. What gives humans the desire to create? the desire to build, the desire to write songs, grow businesses, get married, have children, buy property, invent products, launch initiatives. Mm -hmm. 
I would submit to you today that your creative capacity results from the fact that you were made in the image of an all-knowing and an all-creating God who has uniquely equipped us with the desire to co-create, recreate, and procreate as a reflection of that image which has been stamped on our souls for in him we live and move and have our being even as your artists say we are his offspring and in verse 17 Paul continues for he is before all things and in him all things are are held together which means this friend not not only can I see him and, and not only can I know him but I can trust him. Church is so funny to me because in all reality, it's the strangest collection of people on earth. And if we didn't have Christ in common, we wouldn't have anything in common. But because we have Christ in common, we have everything in common. And similar to the church in Colossae, church puts people from all different walks of life and sits them in the same row and expects them to get along. In fact, the first crisis that the church in Colossae faces, Paul addresses in his book to one of the church leaders, a man named Philemon, who also happens to be an owner of slaves. And something strange happens in Philemon's household. Not only does he get saved, but one of his slaves gets saved as well. And you think seeing your in-laws at church is difficult. All of a sudden, Philemon finds himself standing next to a man who in many ways he functions as the owner of. And yet now they have both put faith in the finished work of Christ Jesus. They both are lifting up hands without wrath or doubting, not ceasing to pray, worshiping the Lord with everything that they have. They are both hearing the scriptures exegeted in front of them. They are both laying down their time, talent, and treasure at the feet of Jesus. Outside of the church, there is nothing that they have in common, but inside of the church, it is the spirit that makes us one. It is not slave nor free. It is not male nor female. It is not rich nor poor. It is not black nor white. It is not Democrat nor Republican. It is not not leader versus servant. It's not highly talented versus lowly talented. It is not mansion versus homeless. In the spirit, we are one, which means this, the blood of Christ and the spirit of God is powerful enough to overcome any social objection that you could ever fathom that would somehow separate you from worshiping alongside someone that you think you have nothing in common with. Because in the spirit, we are We we can't even conceptualize it in our world today, but if for a moment you could put on your historical cap and translate back 2,000 years in world history, nothing could be more striking or dichotomous in nature than a slave and his master both attending the same church. And Paul appeals to them both. And he says, your, your personal identities have been subjected to the chief identity that you now have in Christ. For the slave is our brother. And together we worship 
this God. And if it is true that Christ is before all things, and if it is true that Christ will remain after all things, then I can trust the one who manages the middle to hold me together along the way. You know what I've found is that the Lord will use the different seasons and chapters of your personal story to help reveal different facets of his character to you. Meaning this, you don't know he's your healer until you're sick. You don't know he's your provider until you're broke. You don't know he's your wise counselor until you're staring down the hallway of existential crisis, anxiety, pain, and depression. And I can tell you this, you don't realize he is the one who holds all things together when you walk through a season of life where you feel like everything is falling apart. And Paul writes the church from his prison cell. Not from his writer's retreat, not from his private cabin, not from his chat GPT connected laptop, but from prison. He says, I've, I've seen this, Jesus. I, I think it was on the, the road to Damascus. I, I was on my way to persecute other believers, and all of a sudden, in a moment, a blinding light knocked me off my horse, and I heard a voice that came from heaven that said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And in a finite moment, I lost my physical vision, but I gained my spiritual vision, and my life has never been the same. What I love about the authenticity of Paul's writing is he is not writing from a philosophical perspective. He is not writing about the Jesus that he heard preach about at the church that he irregularly attends. He is not writing about the Jesus that he has studied about in the history books or that he has realized through the lens of religious nostalgia. He is writing about the Jesus that he has met. He can't shake that the invisible has become visible. He can't get away from the idea that this God is before all things. He can't wrestle himself from the notion that this God holds all things together when the world is falling apart and can and I tell you, there is one thing when a message comes from you, it's another thing when a message goes through you. And Paul is writing, and he's appealing to the believers in the ancient city of Colossae, and he's saying, if God can be my peace in the prison cell, he can be your peace in the church. If God can be my provider when I'm rejected by my Jewish brethren, God can be your provider in the midst of the earthquake that is coming, for this God has never failed, and he won't start now. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the author and the finisher. And he is the manager of the in-between. That God holds all things together. And in verse 18, Paul continues. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from dead so that in all things he may have the preeminence which means this not only can I see him not only can I know him not only can I trust him but I can follow him hear me friend a church without Christ is like a body without a head you might be able to run around for a little bit while you hemorrhage from the neck. 
but eventually the body will collapse because without the head, you aren't the bride. You're a monster. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected who has become now the chief cornerstone of our faith. Which is why we say the center of the church is is not the pulpit, it's not the pastor, it's not the personality, it's the presence. Because in his presence, there is fullness for your life. The Bible says that Christ is the head of his church, which is the body, which is the bride, but there is fullness within his body. And for us, as we enter into his courts with thanksgiving and praise, we offer him the sacrifice of our lips. We pour out our affection on him. And in doing so, God fixes stuff in our lives that we didn't even know was broken. He sets up resources that we didn't even know were coming our way. He opens doors no man can close and closed doors no man can open. He makes the highways low, the low ways high, the crooked ways straight. For the mountains still today, yes, even in 2024, they still melt like wax in the presence of the one that we worship and this Christ he is not an ancillary add-on he is not some disembodied tangentially connected spiritual force he is not what we get to after we do all of our stuff and then make time for three minutes of the Holy Spirit stuff at the end of the church service Jesus is the reason we gather Jesus is the king of the church Jesus is the prince of heaven Jesus is the focal point of our worship it is always Jesus It is only Jesus. It is for Jesus. Everything that we do is connected to the headship because you can get a lot of things wrong, but if you get Jesus right, he will iron out the future of your life and make ways where there seems to be no way. Now, we ain't always going to get it right. It's not always going to be the perfect church experience. It's not always gonna feel awesome every Sunday. But if Jesus can remain our focus, he'll help add the proper context for all the things from time to time that we feel are not always right. And in verse 20, he concludes, and by him to reconcile all things unto himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through his blood, which was shed on the cross. In the span of five verses, while sitting in a Roman prison cell, Paul writes the most beautiful and poignant defense of the deity of Christ that we have in the entirety of the New Testament. And he tells the reader these five things. You can see this God, for in him the invisible has been made visible. You can know this God, for in him all things were created. You can trust this God, for in him all things are held together. You can follow this God, for he is the head of the body. And you can worship this God, for by him he has made peace through his shed blood on the cross. My question for you in closing this morning is, who is this Jesus to you? Maybe my greatest concern with the church in the West is that we have become bored with a God we barely know. That Jesus functions as a convenient add-on to the already complicated and convoluted philosophical bookshelf of our lives. That Jesus is the the cultural icon that we appeal to when we need that bailout or when we need to get out of that speeding ticket for the fourth time in a row. 
What I want to ask you today, friend, is, is, is the Jesus that Paul preaches in Colossians 1, the one that you worship and serve and revere. Because when you meet that man, everything in your life begins to change. Who do you say that he is? Some say a wise philosopher. Some say a good teacher. Some say a, a dead prophet. We say, you're Christ, the son of the living God. And flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. But instead, my father above. It's my earnest desire that we demonstrate that Jesus to this city. Not the safe, like cute, cool Jesus of like hype churches. <laughs> Not the like really like reserved, contained, nice Jesus that culture wants to paint him into a corner to be. But the wild lion of the tribe of Judah who at his roar, dead men come to life. Jesus is not an idea that needs to be defended. He is a lion that needs to be let loose. And I want the community to meet this Jesus. When they walk through the front doors of this church, when you invite a friend, a family member, a neighbor, when they walk in, I don't want them to be impressed with the building or the lights or the stage or the show or the sound. I want them to sense something so transcendent that they don't have human words to describe it. I want wells of living water to begin to break forth in the deep of who they are. I want them to get goosebumps that they can't explain. I want their mind to be flooded with prayers that they can't even utter. I want them to be overwhelmed by the presence of a sovereign God who has put their stamp on their life and they can't get away from it for he is the author the blueprint and the creator and all things are both from him through him and do unto his name I want them to cross the threshold of these front doors and be so overwhelmed by the tangible presence of God that they might not understand it all they might not even agree with it all but they feel compelled in their heart of hearts I must give my life to this Jesus that that church preaches I've never met a man like that I've never had a God like that. I've never had somebody forgive my sins like that. I've never had somebody shed their blood for his enemies like that. I'm daring myself to believe again that I can trust that type of God with my past, my present, and my future. I would dare to tell you today that Kirkland deserves an encounter with the Jesus of Colossians 1. stay standing as we close church has to be more than an infrequent weekly gathering with a bad potluck once a month where we gather around to tell old war stories about the things that God used to do it must be the laboratory of the living where God shows himself strong to a city that so desperately needs it Oh, if good preaching could have saved a region, we'd already be saved. We need an encounter with the living God.
Listen, let me in here, but I'm going to throw you a little curveball. Because that's what we do. The Lord spoke to me this week. He said, it's time to open up the waters in Kirkland again. I said, all right, that sounds cool, but what does that mean? And how many of you know sometimes the Lord will speak to you, and then he will leave out all the details to help you connect the dots? It's time to open the waters in Kirkland again. And I said, God, I, I don't know what that means. I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what you're asking me to do. And he led me to Isaiah 41, where the prophet says, I will open up rivers for them in the desolate places. I will give them fountains of water in the valleys. I will fill the desert with pools of water. Rivers fed by springs will flow across the parched ground again. And it hit me on the way to Kirkland campus today. We're going to open the baptism tank. And we're going to invite people into the faithful followership of King Jesus, evidenced through water baptism, identifying with his death. So in turn, you can identify with his life. Let me just give you some clear instructions because I don't know who this is for today. It might be one, it might be a hundred, it might be a couple dozen, I'm not sure. But I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking it too. You're standing here today going, what did I show up for today? And maybe to Pursuit's credit, the answer to that question is you never really know when you come to church on a Sunday. I know you're sitting here and you got dressed up for church and got your makeup did and you got your hair straightened and you took your weekly bath and I get that, I get that. I get that. I understand you didn't come with your swim trunks and you, I get that. But hear me today, friend. If you're standing in this room under the sound of my voice, and if you were to be honest, you would say, Pastor, either I've never made a decision to follow Jesus, but I need to today, or I've made a decision to follow Jesus, but I've never followed the Lord through the waters of baptism. I didn't come with my shorts either, but I can tell you this, we are opening the rivers in desolate places today. And I want you to know, baptism ain't a good idea, it's a God mandate. This is not like your mid-service dunk, just like communion is not your mid-service snack. This is one of the holy ordinances and elements of what it means to follow Jesus. I know you didn't come prepared today for baptism, but God came prepared today for baptism. And I'm telling you, God will meet you in these baptism waters. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but I, 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 I imagine it's just a few of you in this room who are saying, Pastor, if I to be honest, I've yet to be water back. It's going to be a little crazy and it's going to be a little foolish and I'm going to have to drive back home in my wet clothes. But one life will soon be passed. It is only what is done for Christ that will last. And this is an eternal moment of consecration and dedication unto the invisible God who's been made visible through the God-man, Jesus Christ. And today's your day. Today's your day. Today is your day. In just a moment, I'm going to make a call. And I'm going to count to three. There's nothing magic or anointed about the number three. But it gives you an opportunity to respond. 
And this altar calls for two things in specific. Number one, it's souls. If you're here today and you're not right with God, tomorrow is not promised. I would implore you by the mercy of God, which is in Christ Jesus, give your life to him today. Maybe you're sitting here today, I'm not sure where I'm going. I'm not sure where I'm gonna spend eternity. Today would be a great day to rededicate your life to the Lord. I wanna leave this place with the assurance of faith because this Jesus is worthy of the sacrifice of my life. But number two, when I count to three, you're here in this room, you're standing. I'm gonna look foolish and I'm gonna look dumb and it's gonna get wet. You know, this baptism tank has a heater. I told the team, did I not, lady? I said, don't turn on the heater. Fill it up with the hose water. This ain't no hot tub, ain't no bubble bath. It's cold water. But I assume if people are serious, it don't matter if it's cold water, warm water, river water, ocean water, iced over water. When people are serious, they'll come to the tank and get dumped for the glory of God. I'm just here to tell you, today is your day. And when I count to three, if you need to get right with God, I want you to get right with God here, and I want you to walk your dry self over to this tank and get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. If you're here today, you say, Pastor, I'm already right with God, <laughs> but I have yet to be water baptized. It's just not the right time, and how am I gonna capture it on the gram, and who's gonna see me, and I'm gonna look foolish. Today is your day. <laughs> When I count to three, if you're in either of those categories, you know who you are. Because when I'm talking right now, you're thinking, oh God, I hope he's not talking to me. I'm talking to you. When I count to three, if that's you, I don't want you to phone a friend. I don't want you to do a 50-50. I don't want you to take an Instagram poll. I want you to be obedient to what God is asking you to do in this moment and watch the breakthrough that happens in your life today. I promise you, I promise you, get ready. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. When I count to three, the rivers are open again in Kirkland, Washington. And today is your day. When I count to three, if that's you, let's rally. Here we go, one. Here we go, two. Here we go, three. Step out of your seat. 